Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hi, welcome to another episode of Med Family. This is Eric, uh, and hosting, of course, again with me is Karen. Hey, guys. So this week, we're still on an online rotation, so it's not as challenging it's not exciting. They don't. Think, he doesn't get any good stories as of yet, but that's okay. Yeah, no, nothing, nothing that I can talk about besides like eye human cases that are are interesting, but you know, obviously they're not humans, and so we're we're doing our best with what we have. The week has been good though. I spent a lot of last week. I think I mentioned on the podcast, kind of drowning in a luxury of resources, trying to figure out what I should be reading and what I should be doing because I'm. One of the benefits of an online segment of your rotation, because I'm doing, again, three weeks, I'm on a family medicine clerkship, three weeks of it is online, and three weeks will be in person with a preceptor. But but part of the benefit is to have some time to study for your shelf exam, because at the end of six weeks, you take your shelf exam. And then, of course, all the shelf exams kind of build up until you take step two. And, of course, I want to do really well on step two, so I'm trying to figure out how to navigate where I'm at here after taking about a month off between step one and starting clerkships, trying to remember all the medicine that I had learned to get to step one, and maybe I didn't learn it very well, but in either case, I'm trying to trying to get to a point where I can utilize that information to a practical sense, but at the same time, trying to understand what I need to know and how, I, how step two and shelf exams are going to be tested. So Thankfully, I, I ran into a few upperclassmen or people who are a little bit further along the process than I am, and they they offered some good guidance on how they dealt with it, and I'm going to share that a little bit today. I have my own little take on it, but I think it's mostly a backbone is their, their work. Right. So I guess I'll just jump right into that. So a lot of last week, what I, I did, I'll start with that. A lot of last week, what I ended up doing was just doing a couple hours of the eye human, making sure I still got my three cases done for that week, and a couple hours of online med ed, maybe a few hours on the Inky deck or the Anking deck. It's a massive deck. A lot of uh, medical students tend to use that. And then I ended up doing... What else did I end up doing? Um, maybe some videos I, I could find. There's also a podcast out there called divine intervention and it's by uh, i think a resident named divine dr divine and he's got some good pointers for medical students uh for anything from step one all the way through step two it looks like so i've been kind of using some of those resources but essentially just floating floating around between all those resources i'm not really sure how quickly i need to be getting through that material in what way should i know the material because a, a lot of a lot of medical school is knowing material but also knowing how it's going to be tested so that you can prepare so you can do good on the test because it might be great that you know the Krebs cycle but if you don't know how they're going to test it they maybe throw a b6 deficiency or something out at you and how that would affect what what enzyme would be higher or lower those sort of things or a thiamine deficiency it it's hard because <laughs> you can know all the steps and if you get kind of thrown a really weird question it's hard to answer it. So again, step two, I'm not really 
quite sure. I haven't taken a shelf exam or a step two. So fellow student named Seth, he's one of our upperclassmen. I think he's he's trying for, I think, believe, emergency medicine. So I hope he's hope he gets there. He's really smart, works really hard. But his suggestion, and I have to give my wife a lot of credit for this because I didn't know who to go to. And she was meeting up with some of the ladies and his wife was there. And she suggested talking to him because he had a similar issue. Does that sound about right? I've been talking for the last <laughs> 10 minutes. and Now, um, well, you had said that you weren't sure what to do. And so I was just going down the list of women within our, I mean, we have a Wives of Trinity students group. And so I was just going down the list of, well, who is an upperclassman that we can ask? And you asked a couple. Seth just finished taking his step two exam. So I thought that he would be a good resource because he's taken all the shelves, passed all the shelves, and depending on how he felt about step two would kind of give Eric a good gauge of was this effective or not. Yeah, and I, the other gentleman, she mentioned I talked to a couple, and the other uh, student I talked to, he had similar advice. The only difference really was is that Seth more or less broke it down to how you should approach it for each rotation kind of on a day-by-day basis. So I'll just kind of run through that right here. I've been kind of teasing that, so I should just do it. Essentially, I'm on family medicine rotation, so this is going to be more applicable to family medicine. And I'll try to talk talk about nuances between, like, longer rotations like surgery and IM. But so, like, for the first two days, uh, the recommendation was to just burn through all your eye human cases that are assigned. So over the course of three weeks, we're assigned nine eye human cases to go over, possibly 10 if the preceptor assigns you a 10. And so his recommendation was to just really knuckle down the first two days of the clerkship on the online portion and just get through all your online cases. And then from that point, you try to go to the online meded.com. It's a it's a medical student resource. I think they have step one stuff. I never used it for step one, so I don't know how good it is. But for step two, they have well, clerkships portion. And they have a lot of information that's useful for clerkships and what they what you need to know for step two. They are a subscription service. Uh, I only really am using them for the videos. The videos are free. And I don't think the subscription is particularly unreasonable. I think it's like... 30 to $40 a month. So if you have the money, you want to kick it that direction, then go for it. It's a great resource. Their videos are free. So that's what I'm using. I, I don't think I need much beyond the videos, but they do have questions on this trial version. The questions were actually pretty good, I thought. But anyway, so I, I try for day three and four on week one and try to watch all the videos for your rotation. So family medicine's a little bit weird because it's it encompasses a lot. You go to a family medicine doctor, you could be older, you could be you know, middle-aged, a teenager, uh, you could be a kid. I mean, there's family medicine doctors who deliver babies, so it's, it's a wide, wide variety of things. So I'm just going over the medicine category of online med ed, and that has a lot. I mean, that has anything from pulmonology, cardiology, gastro, nephrology, just a ton of videos, I think. I think I still have like 20 hours worth of videos to watch. So it's not, I, I, I say day two and I say three and four, you're doing these videos and watching them all. Realistically, this is going to spill into day five. But anyway, so day five, you take what you learn in those videos and you try to rewrite the notes. If you wrote notes, um, I have access to the, the video notes. 
And so you try to rewrite it into like flow charts and high yield points. Just kind of as an example, I, I, today I rewrote the, because I was feeling a little fatigued, and so I decided just to write some note. Uh, I rewrote the pul um, pulmonary embolism flow chart. So it's it's fun to it's fun to do. It's it makes you feel like you actually understand medicine a little bit more. So that's uh, day three and four, and then um, sorry, day five and six is sorry rewriting the notes. I'm sorry, and then day six or seven. Um, the recommendation was every Saturday try to take an NB M N B M E N as in Nancy, B as in boy, E as uh, M as in Mary, and E as an elephant. Sorry. Uh, that that website, which they do the USMLE uh, step one and step two and the CBSEs exams as well, that website has practice tests for the shelf exam. So the recommendation was to take a shelf exam every Saturday for the entire clerkship. And I think the general idea there is, again, getting you comfortable with the questions, getting you comfortable with material. And then I think you can look over the answers after you submit for the... I haven't done it yet, so I'll have to find this out. But then you can adjust your notes according to the questions or add to your notes because the online med ed notes are essentially just going to be bare bones, foundational, high yield points, but they're not going to be everything you can possibly know about a topic. And then I, because that, that basically takes care of week one. So week two and three, the suggestion was essentially just do U world questions. UWorld breaks down apparently into shelf. I haven't bought UWorld Step 2. That's going to be on the list of things to purchase. That's going to be an expensive buy. We're going to buy the year subscription. But I felt like UWorld was great for Step 1. And I can't imagine it's going to be terrible for Step 2. So we're just going to, we're going to go with it. Yeah. And, and I think Seth had said something about at, when you are doing your UWorld questions, if you see anything in there that is being hit on, that you also add add that pertinent detail to your notes as well because you're trying to get the the meat of what you should know and what you're going to be asked questions on yeah and that's kind of in the same vein as in step one if you're preparing for step one you don't just do the u world or if you do usmle rx or kaplan you don't do the questions just to see if you got the question right you got to study the question essentially so you get the answer you find out why the other answer choices are wrong, why that answer choice is definitely right, and then just refine your information, refine your knowledge until you have it down, and then just keep reviewing and repetition, essentially. The other, I guess, adjustments I'm making to their plan is that, uh, I mentioned before, I was using the An Anking deck from uh, the Anki deck. Uh, a lot of medical students use it. It's a neat little app or a program on your computer that you can go over pre-made cards and kind of like flashcards essentially. There is a, a Dirty Medicine, which is another YouTube video. Uh, like the, the guy who does Dirty Medicine has tons of information. He's a great resource for a lot of things, all things medicine and medical school. But he has specifically what's called the USPSTF screening recommendations. <laughs> That's a, a little bit of a mouthful, but so those are, there's a, there's a lot to it. But one of the things I, I apparently the advice is is that on these shelf exams they are going to test these guidelines. These are some sort of national board has put out guidelines for treatment. Uh, so as an example, like a patient 
for blood pressure screenings, adults over 40 years old with hypertension risk factors, they get yearly screenings. And then let's see, let's see, for example, a patient with a blood pressure of 158 over 98, you would advise lifestyle changes with ambulatory monitoring, maybe a BP, a blood pressure log at home, because about 30% of the patients have white coat syndrome. And if it's still elevated blood pressure after the ambu- after doing the blood pressure log at home, then you'd start treatment. Generally, treatment is what is ACE inhibitors or ARBs, calcium channel blockers, and thiazides. And if the patient is black, because I believe it's a, it's a weird thing. I don't quite understand this in medicine, but apparently the races for black individuals, ACEs and ARBs aren't always the best medication, so they get calcium channel blockers and thiazides. I don't know why, but that's just part of the guidelines. So things you just have to know. Yeah, so that's essentially, and I'm just kind of adding that in as I can. Anki deck, I'm just, I have it filtered down to just giving me cards for family medicine. So I can just review as much as possible family medicine. And then once you're in your actual in-person rotation, if you can do Cubate questions from UWorld, then great. If you can do, there's a case studies or case reports for family medicine, but basically the, the format is a vignette or a big, a big stem of a question that outlines the patient, what, what's wrong with them, and then a question. They have usually like three open-ended questions, like how would you treat this person? What vaccines would you offer? What screenings should you be looking to do? And then you read their explanations for why, which answers were the most correct answers to choose. And then there's like four or five questions at the end of the chapter that are more multiple choice. And then, of course, you can read those explanations as well. But I think the recommendation there was just to do those during your in-person rotation, during your downtime. Yeah, and all of this started because Eric got on a Reddit thread that was talking about the shelf exams and which ones are you're most likely to not pass your first time. And (laughs) family medicine and internal medicine, I think, were the two... I think for sure family medicine was one of the hard inter, internal medicine is a sim, similar vein because it covers so much so much of medicine and so he started getting getting in his head so this is this is what we did and I think he feels a lot more confident going forward so it just feels good to have a direction like you, you you're not floating like I'm not I'm not going to school and just watching some videos doing some questions doing a little bit of this a little bit of that. I feel like having a structure and a plan every day when I get into school is a good thing. This is why we work so well together because he has to have a plan and I just have to get things done. It doesn't matter when it gets done. It just has to get done. So we'll get in the car to run errands. Where are we going? I don't care. We can go to this store, this store, this store. It doesn't matter. Which one do you want to go to first? (laughs) (laughs) Well, if we're going to go to this store, that's not anywhere on the way to these other places. So... (laughs) But because I'm a little bit more fluid than you are, I think it works. Yeah. But um, my week, uh, we got given a bunch of free oh. food. Yeah. Free food. food. So the school was not Trinity, but... One of the local school districts or schools here. Like what, in... Yeah, was giving out free lunches over the summer. And a fellow student was picking them up for their kids. And I guess... When they went this last time to pick up food, they were just unloading all the extra food off onto families. And so they took what they wanted and then they offered it to one of the other moms in the group. She was at my house at the time and she's like, well, 
I don't want it. Do you want it? And I said, yeah, sure, I'll take it. And we're going to take advantage of having free food and the less strain on our grocery budget. So I ended up with... Giant, I think it was like a foot by two and a half feet box A diaper of box full of apples and pears. And another box full of anything from like frozen, frozen pizza food. to like the like the PB and J sandwiches that are frozen. Yeah, we got a bunch of those little uncrustable sandwiches. We got a there bunch go. of the little miniature pizzas, which my kids were ecstatic about. They're all gone. Uh, we got a bunch of veggies, so we have peas, corn, green beans, all that stuff. But the fruit, since I had so much of it, I had to do something with it before it went bad. So some of it went into our fridge, obviously, because my kids love fruit. But our kids, I don't know why I'm saying mine. Ours. They're ours. Something you want to tell me? (laughs) No. Um, But I ended up making six batches of applesauce. I gave three batches to the mom that hooked me up with the food, because that seems right. (laughs) (laughs) and i made four batches of pie filling so that was quite a bit of work (laughs) very productive yes i had a very productive day getting all of that done yesterday and the kids enjoyed stealing my fruit while i was trying to cut it up or helping (laughs) (laughs) well oliver stirred under supervision the pie filling and he licked out the bowl you know, because it tastes good. And... So we did dishes. We did lots of dishes. I we I'm trying to teach my our kids some, some sense of responsibility. So they help me unload the dishwasher every time. They're responsible for their dishes and the silverware. And then I do all of the breakables. So it works out. And they help me do a couple loads of laundry. They like pressing the buttons. So they have to help load and unload in order to be able to press the buttons. And my oldest son likes to pour in the the detergent, which is a little bit scary. (laughs) The way he does it anyways. (laughs) Yeah. Um, He's trying. He's trying. Yeah. We are working towards, we still have to, actually, we are going to do it tonight because otherwise it won't get done. We are going to register to homeschool because that has to be done soon if we're going to actually do it and then I need to start we've been doing random little things just to kind of get them going alphabet writing drawing just getting kind of used to things but nothing like we're gonna sit down and do math or (laughs) (laughs) we are gonna sit down and we're trying to tailor their learning and education to how we know that they learn and how they know that they process information and some of our kids are pretty high energy so they need to be very active and the ability to be homeschooled we backstory on both of us we were both homeschooled i was homeschooled all the way to college it's kind of i mean i started off in public school probably about first second grade my mom plucked us all four of us kids well all three of our kids um my siblings out my oldest sibling was able to stick stick it through high school, but we were homeschooled until high, all the way through high school. We were given the opportunity, I think, in our junior year to go for running start. So uh, I think all of us took advantage of that opportunity to spend half of our day, if not most of our day, at the local community college, learning learning from you know in college classes. So we got college credit, high school credit. And if we would have played our cards a little bit better, we probably could have gotten an associate's by the time we graduated. But 
Either way. Yeah. And I was homeschooled up until high school. And then I went to a Nerd. an alternative school. Nerd school. Oh, I went to an alternative school, a charter school. And it was only 40s When week. you hear alternative, you think like delinquents or no. gifted. Well, I'm not gifted. But you did have so to delinquent. take a test to get in. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> so the, the, Excuse the, you. The, the, the local uh, high school over there, they didn't send their suspended we, students we to you guys? We did get the suspended students from the local high school if they were within our boundaries. Otherwise, they went to Prairie or Hawkinson. Oh, right. Yeah, because about you, yeah. the around school district. Yeah. You guys are. Yeah. They didn't have any like sports team though. So no, I played sports for the local high school, which a lot of the girls resented. Yeah, and the same with myself. I, when I was homeschooled in high school, we would we had since we were part of the local school district, which was Evergreen School District, we would uh, do our sports through Evergreen. My parents had a rule that none of us boys could play football, so that left us baseball and swimming. Well, you could have done track. Yeah, sure. I could have done track. <laughs> I love to run. Nobody loves to run. All y'all track people, you're nuts. I mean, I'm I'm not I'm saying you... that because I did run. I didn't run track, but the girls soccer team would every once in a while pair up with the track team and go mm-hmm. running for conditioning. Y'all are nuts. Yeah, swimming was much better. Swimming was a lot of people would go into swimming, and there wasn't really tryouts like there are for other teams. So if you just showed up, and like the first couple of weeks, it was kind of like a boot camp. If you hadn't ever swam competitively, they kind of took you off to the side and tried to teach you and get you going. And usually, like out of that group, probably like 25 30 percent of the people would drop out within the first week or two because it was just there's a lot of swimming involved. There, like miles of swimming every practice. And it's hard. They want you to keep a pace, and and it's funny because when you're like a first year swimmer, you're not very fast. And there's six lanes of a progressively faster lanes, and it's kind of crazy. You kind of slowly work your way. Like, okay, I'm starting to touch the toes of the guy in front of me. I guess I go to the next lane. Then you're like suddenly being like ran over by people, <laughs> and slowly you kind of keep up, and then you can move on to the next lane. I never made it to like the the, the fast lane, but. You could have played basketball. Sure. <laughs> He's my, listening as there's only two sports other than football. Oh, there's so more sports. My, my, my dad really loved baseball. And so we did Little League growing up. And so it was just kind of natural that we played baseball. And I, I played the C squad, I think, my freshman year or something like that. And that was the only time I made it through tryouts. <laughs> like, I, I, I didn't. I was not a naturally gifted baseball player. And then to add on to the fact that I was a homeschooler that nobody had ever ever seen before in their life, uh, I wasn't going to make into JV, and I certainly wasn't going to make it into varsity. So one well, year C-squad. Varsity. Yeah, we used, to, we used to watch them, like the coach for the varsity. He, my brother played varsity when I was on the C-squad, and like, you could see him like standing on the baseline, just jumping up and down, screaming as the guys are running lines. <laughs> it's just hilarious. Like, well, that was screwed up. <laughs> About halfway through our season, our coach for C Squad just gave up. <laughs> like, did you ever? Do you guys ever run the beep test? The what test? Beep test. I'm not sure what that is. Oh. What is it? So you have to 
run, I don't know how the, what the length is, but you have to run the length of whatever it is that they measure out within before the next beep. So, and it progressively gets... I, I vaguely recall something similar to that where you'd run bass lines, essentially. You'd run the, the imaginary line, or the line from first ba- uh, home plate to first base, and you'd run from that line to the line, imaginary line from third base to second base, and you'd have to run to that line, run back to the first base line. And if the coach has, he has a timer or something, and if basically the timer went off, instead of having a few seconds to rest at the first base line again, you would have to immediately start back and keep going. Yeah, they, they did a lot of drills, but like I said, about halfway maybe three quarters of the way through the season, our coach had kind of given up on us. We weren't particularly great. And so it just became kind of a, he sat on a bucket of balls and was just like, just practice. And <laughs> so we would have like little scrimmages against ourselves. I, I, I It was sad. I, the coach didn't, he wasn't impressed with our abilities. So oh, the, on, the only player of quality on our team got like drafted into the JV squad about midway through the season. So. I don't think Our high right. school was better known for football. Evergreen? Yeah. Yeah, definitely better better known for football than, than it was for baseball. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, we're a little off topic We there. are very off topic. But how did we even get there? Uh, homeschool, boundary exception. We're doing homeschooling yeah, anyways, with the kids. We are, we are going to get the kids signed up for homeschooling tonight. It's not, it's not a really big deal. It's just like you it's go not. on and you fill out like... I think in Georgia you have to... You, you don't even have to put your kids in school until they're 16 years old or something like no, that. No, it's... No, you're thinking Washington. Like, Georgia, it was like... No, age of compliance is eight. Oh, it was old. It's old. It's older than that in Georgia. No, not We looked, at, we looked it up. Washington, it was eight. <laughs> to be determined. Yeah, well, either way, it's like you just have to declare that you have these kids and they're, they're being homeschooled. Like, there's not much to it in Georgia. No, just print off the thing saying that you declared and the receipt of it so that if you ever get audited, that you have it, have proof that you are doing something with your children. Yeah, so that's kind of my week. Oh, I've started. So when Eric was on break, we didn't have, we had a very loose schedule. Like we tried to do fun things with the kids and there was a lot of TV, and I had just pared down the TV. There was a lot of TV on the island as well because it was hot. It was hot, and no, there wasn't much to do outside. It seems to be a common theme for this podcast. <laughs> but it was hot. <laughs> but they have a, ba- a fenced backyard now. We have a kiddie pool. We have a sprinkler. We've got water guns. We have sandbox and a playhouse with a slide. Like they should play outside. Or do other things. So we have lots of books, lots of books they can read. Yes, I went went to bookbuilder.com and got a whole box of books for a dollar a book, less than a dollar a book. Winning. And so our kids tear them apart. Well, that's why I'm not gonna spend more than a dollar on them. So, anyways, all that to be said is I'm cutting back on the TV again, and the kids the have, struggle. Is the real. struggle is real. But we did pretty good yesterday because we got to cook a lot and we got to play out in the water. And today we did decently well. So, well, last um, one other thing I guess we did this last week was there was uh, AMSA did the oh, yeah, uh, they had a soup, they had a soup kitchen that we went to. We didn't make the soup and hand it out, but we were doing health screenings. So, we did blood pressure, temperature. Uh, I think we also had glucose monitors so we could 
do the glucose test. And that was interesting. I kind of seen some of the the poorer social economically disadvantaged of, of the Warner Robins community. And I think it was a good experience overall, just talking to some of the patients and well, some of the, pa- the the people who came for the soup and they got a, they got a screening on while they were there. It, I mean, the only critique I would have is that I think sometimes when we do these screenings that we should have, we should have something to send these patients to. So when I, when I did a blood pressure reading and the patient was like 150 over 90 or something like that, or a hundred, I want to over a hundred. It's like, I should tell, I should be able to tell this patient, go to the free clinic on this street, you know, in two days and go talk to the doctor there and see what they can do to you know try to get this managed. Because as I'm learning and as other students will learn in medical school, you know, hyper, hypertension can cause arthrosclerosis or coronary artery, artery disease and can cause major heart issues. And sometimes just doing the screen and being, oh, your, your blood pressure is elevated. And it's like, well, what do you expect? <laughs> like, I I don't eat well. I don't have a great diet. And I don't have, I haven't seen the doctor. Like one, one gal that came in and told us about how every time she went, every time she went to see a doctor, they sent her to the hospital and she, so, so now she's avoiding doctors, and, which is a little, I mean, it's sad. Like as doctors, like we, we don't want to scare away our patients, but at the same time, like I'm sure, I'm sure the doctors who saw her and sent her to the hospital had a very good reason. And she even was like, Oh, I, I, I have this hernia that needs to be fixed. And it was like, she could put both hands around this hernia in the middle of her stomach. And it, like, it was giant. Obviously, it needs to be fixed. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't comfortable. And, but you know, she's just avoiding it because she doesn't want to do surgery. And I, and I get that. Surgery is scary. But, I mean, not if you're the surgeon, but. Maybe a little bit if you're the surgeon. But he says that after having not done a surgery rotation yet, I'm I, sure the I first time you cut somebody of, open, you're going to be terrified. Yeah, I, I suppose actually doing the work as opposed to watching the work be done is a slightly different situation. But either case, it was it was good to kind of meet those patients again. The only critique I would have is just we should have maybe a resource for these patients so that they can get the conditions checked out. And now some of the patients we would talk to, they, they would have elevated blood pressures. And they're like, oh, yeah, I know I have hypertension. Uh, I have two blood pressure medications I take at home for that. And some of them, you know, and maybe that was just a matter. It was elevated because they were just came out from outside. It was hot. And maybe they're a little dehydrated. Um, maybe that would actually make it a little bit lower, to be honest. But maybe if they were walking around a little bit, it might be a little bit elevated. But um, there was others that were like, can't afford the medication, so I'm not doing it. So, and that's hard too, because you, you don't want, you don't want someone to be sick because they can't afford medication and that, that those situations, Ooh, a light's kind of flickered there. Um, in that kind of situation, you just kind of hope at some point you can get a social worker and see if they can get them on Medicaid or something to at least get them something, get them going in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, when we were in Washington, uh, the hospitals were very good about, if you didn't, if you came in without insurance, they were very good about trying to get you through the process to get you some sort of state insurance or something that you could afford or was free to you, well, so they, that. And they were good at like, expediting. If you actually just went onto the website, it would might take you about a month to get your coverage going. The hospital was like good about like almost by the time you left the hospital, they had some idea of what kind of coverage you would have and if you had state coverage or not. Yes. Well, and if you call and wait, so our our children 
when they were, so it was cheaper for us instead of paying $800 a month <laughs> for our kids to be on our insurance while we were working, we had our kids on state insurance when we were in Washington, a subsidized state insurance, and it was 40 bucks for all four kids total. Yeah, and, and kids are, for insurance, I mean, it's still Medicaid. Medicaid still pays well below the rate to run out, you know, overhead for a hospital, but kids are also cheaper than an adult. Like, they just need a well-child checkup. They need their they shots. They need some shots. They, and then the state pays that. And I don't think they're, they're jipping the pharmaceutical companies on the cost of the shots. They, you know, and generally, kids don't need a lot of medical care. So it's generally cheaper. True. And they don't cover absolutely everything. Like our boys were circumcised. Oh, and that yeah. is an like elective surgery. Almost no insurance surgery. covers that. Yeah, anyway. it's an elective. So... We had to pay out of pocket for that, which was fine. Oh, here's the wife walking into the hot button issues. Oh, anyways, my point was that after birth, if you call, they will add your child to existing insurance that same day. You just have to call back once you have a social security card. So there are ways to expedite it. It's just you have to be on hold for a while. But I think... um especially in like the hospital systems. Like I know in pharmacy, when I was a pharmacy biller, we had a different phone number to call than what was on the back of your insurance card. And yes, I still had to wait on hold, but I also knew what to ask for when I got off of hold. Like this is what I need. This is the override I need so that the insurance will cover it. And this is why I should be given this override. <laughs> Whereas an individual calling doesn't know what to say and can get can get lost, can get lost in the shuffle. And so it, I think it's, a, it's what? good to appreciate your support staff and, <laughs> <laughs> and all, all they do for well, you. It's one of the, the nuances and, and frustrations of our, our system. It's not, We've talked about it, I think, last week where it's not perfect. If you've worked in the industry, you certainly know, like Karen was saying, some of the ins and outs. You know who to talk to, what to say, the key, the keywords that they're looking for to kind of get yourself to the right place. And like I said, I think maybe a week ago, last, you know, a couple weeks ago, you understand what the medical policy is and the prior authorization process, and you understand the steps and hoops that have to be jumped through in the right order in order to get something authorized. So you're better able to serve your patients. And the frustrating thing about the system is that patients are very uneducated in this field because it is complicated. Like, especially medications, it's complicated understanding who gets the authorization, what documentation is needed. And as far as the patient is concerned, and many many providers out there feel the same way, if my doctor said I needed it, I need it. Right. And just be aware, you as doctors don't always know either. Because, like, I'm going to hearken back to, like, a case, like, Eric was you were talking to a patient and the doctor had told her over the phone, go ahead and take two pills as opposed to one. And then she ran out and could not get a refill. Yeah. Um, so there's like a pain medication. Yes. Double uh, yeah, pain medication. And she, Yeah. She couldn't get a refill. And then she came in and was talking to Eric and Eric being the husband that he was, didn't, like, he just texted me. I was a I, surgery coordinator. <laughs> I don't do medications. He doesn't do medication. He texted me. He's like, is there a way around this? And I said, yeah, the doctor has to put in a therapy change order or a, a prescription change order, and it'll get approved like that. Like, you yeah. just, it's it's a simple override, but 
the insurance company needs to know that the doctor actually changed the order and that the patient wasn't overdosing themselves. Right. And some clarification here, like the doctor doesn't know because that one of the beauties of the more modern medical system is that you have support staff that does some of that stuff for you or it just gets lost in the bureaucracy or the pharmacy does it. And then um, another maybe note that I should probably add in there my consultation of Karen while I was a surgery coordinator did not include medical record information. No, <laughs> it no, was just it was one if, professional to another. If this, how would this situation be resolved if you were the one <laughs> handling it? Because Eric didn't normally handle that at the time. He had a, a fellow... Um, another person that I worked with that was more into the medical authorization, medication authorization. Yes, but she was on vacation, so he was like, well... Let me ask. Overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask and see if there is one. And there, there is, there is an override for that. But you just need to know that there was a therapy, the therapy change. So, like random things like that, which can cause so much frustration, but with a simple fix. But you just need to know the right people to get you where you're at. But along those veins, a couple things happened this last week. Stories that we've heard, and we were kind of, kind of include those in because like you bring insights to how we might as how we as physicians interact with the public and then how sometimes uh, also another story we had heard this week is how the public can perceive us as physicians yes so also with the physician perception of patients like there's been some stories circling around about certain clerkships um, on patients who have very unique histories. And, um, and, and one of the things you kind of learn when you do an OB rotation is the schedule of tests uh, that pregnant women will have. And I believe it, and I have to go back and look at my notes, but I believe around 16 weeks or something like that, you're supposed to have like, a, you're supposed to have like, no, that's right, really on your intake, you're supposed to take like syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia, and I mean, those are all great indicators for you know, possible treatments that the the mom might need and interventions that we might need to do for the baby. But the you know they obviously have a reason for asking for those tests, and the reason for doing that is sometimes it doesn't paint the mom either in a good light or the baby's father in a great light. And sometimes you know like those tests come back positive, and that causes a little bit of family turmoil. <laughs> Someone might get ran over by a car. And you you hear some stories and it's, it's yeah, you, you, you get some interesting public stories and it's, you know, it's, we deal with the public and, you know, you try not to you know, make fun of their misery or the unfortunate situation. But it's like you have to be prepared that when you pro- provide maybe some bad news, potentially bad news to patients, that those patients might handle that news badly or not in the way that you would think is normal. And it probably should caveat this with... I think sometimes pregnant women have a special class where they they can they kind of get away with a little bit of extra because they're they might even be clinically insane and that's not from hey. a doctor's perspective that's just hey. from a husband's perspective hey i was not that bad <laughs> no you weren't that bad i was not that bad i'll pay you later <laughs> <laughs> speaking of pregnant women um a friend of ours that would be a weird way to tell me you were pregnant <laughs> Sorry. I am not pregnant. <laughs> um, 
but a friend of ours just had their sixth child. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to caveat this because I know a lot more history than the doctor did. But like she has suffered with postpartum depression in the past. She has also suffered with people that are close to them, like questioning Oh, you're having another kid? Their family growing choices. Yes, their family growing choices. And like that's that's not your choice. It's the choice of the couple. And you anytime somebody tells you that they they are pregnant, you should just say congratulations and be quiet. Like if they want to tell you they feel bad about it, then okay, commiserate with them if they and tell them that if you can't be excited about this at this point, that's fine. I'll be excited for you or something positive. Um, otherwise just be quiet. Or if they look pregnant, just don't say anything. That too. But she had, while, while in delivery, she was given two epidurals and both of them failed. So she felt everything and had the baby naturally, which I mean. Women have been doing for years. Women have been doing for years. Decades, centuries, millennia. Does it make it any easier? I don't recommend it because I've had it, I've had both. But anyway, she had two failed epidurals the anesthesiologist came in post-birth um just to kind of check in do paperwork make sure she's not bleeding from the site all that all that lovely stuff the anesthesiologist asked oh is this your first and the response was no this is our sixth and instead of saying congratulations instead of actually checking her back for the site of injection all of that stuff that he's supposed to do he went on... Actually, I don't even know if it was a he. I'm just giving I mean, a it was gender. A he. I, I did talk to her. Oh, okay. Um, I, and I'm giving that gender because all of my anesthesiologists have been men. Yeah. There were a couple women. Well, the woman did not get... Anyway, he She going. didn't stick me. It's fine. There, there, are, there are men and women anesthesiologists. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is the but, 21st century. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he went on and on about how expensive it was and what kind of car do they drive and that uses a lot of gas and that's not environmentally friendly and they better be saving up for college and all of these things that were not you should start your college fund right now congratulatory (laughs) or happy or like i just like if it was me i just birthed the baby with no pain meds because your anesthesiologist failed well, and you're giving me crap about having a baby? It, is, <laughs> it, it essentially amounts to you see a woman holding her newborn baby and everyone's excited to meet this new baby then going and then having a lecture on population control. Like, read the room a little bit. Just read the room a bit. <laughs> like, someone's excited for their baby. Maybe now, now is not the time to talk about your political beliefs. Yeah. And I mean, it goes for, I mean, I, we're using all of these pregnancy examples because these are, these, these are what like either we've experienced or what people are, our friends are going through. We're at that stage of life, right? Having kids and, and reproducing, but like even with, so with our last son, I had an undiagnosed subchorionic hemorrhage and I bled for two months straight very heavily and I called and I called and I called and we went in for appointment after appointment but every time I called the nurse hotline oh honey you're probably just miscarrying and it was said so flippantly but it hurt so bad because like and I don't think people realize of how 
when you're when you're trying to get pregnant when you're especially i mean especially we we don't we didn't suffer with infertility but other other couples we know have have that people don't understand like miscarriages are just miscarriages right or if you're suffering with infertility i i remember one person i knew kind of flippantly said oh it sucks so much that the husband has to have so much sex with his wife and it's like well that's not the problem like that's you you're trying to have a kid and you have a miscarriage and and in our faith we still think of it as kind of a kid um and so we still kind of mourn and i think women also in their own way mourn when their baby when they're when they miscarriage and a lot of women end up miscarrying in silence in a sense and they don't know how to deal with it because society is very flippant about it it's like oh you just miscarried don't worry about it yeah so i think just kind of being aware of how patients perceive you and what you're saying and how you come across. Uh, and just, I, I think that's kind of, it's something that keeps coming up with certain experiences that either we've had or our friends have had. And it's not to say that they're a bad doctor or a bad nurse because everybody has bad days or says things that they don't. We're human. Yeah. don't <laughs> you, we, you are human. We are human. But at the same time, it's like, when does it get to that point of, like, that was over the line? So. And in the last case where, um, not the last case, but the case of our friend, they did make a complaint. Um, they are com- making a complaint with the hospital administration because that that is a bit, there's a bit of arrogance there to start berating a family who just gave birth in your hospital under your services and start berating them that, they're basically being irresponsible by bringing another kid. Whether an audience member believes that or not, that's your own personal opinion. It's just not the time and place for a physician. Like we have as physicians a lot of power over our patients and whether good or bad, uh, we're supposed to be partnering with our patients to help get them the best care possible. So we're also supposed to know like when our opinion matters and when our opinion does not matter. And there are definitely times when like, your opinion does not matter. Like you just provide good care to your patient. You don't have to like their lifestyle. You don't have to like, you know, how, what they're doing. You just have to follow your ethics and you can shut up. Like sometimes it's, it's, um, we're going through this episode right now as a country where we're talking about vaccines. And again, we've talked about, we're not, we're not really going to touch too much on the vaccine. I still think maybe people should get it. You should use your best judgment. But in either case, telling people that you're stupid if you don't get the vaccine is the least convincing argument you could make. It is one of the least convincing ways you can convince someone like, I think you should get a vaccine because it's beneficial, it's effective, and it, at the very least, it will keep you from a, a severe infection or disease. Like That's a much better case to make for a vaccine than... You're an idiot. I thought you were. Sm- I thought you were smarter. If you if you were smarter, you would get the vaccines. Like that has convinced zero people. So as physicians, we also have to know when what we will say is going to be convincing and worthwhile, and when what we say is completely just going to turn somebody off. And is it, is it just to inflate our ego? Is just to make us feel better about ourselves that we we told them? Like because really, in the end of it, it's not. Being a doctor is not about us. I mean, to some degree it is. Like, I'm, I'm certainly being fulfilled in some way by being a physician, but me telling, spouting off my viewpoints to my patients and 
they're not receptive to it like that's that's not beneficial to the patient and that's my job is supposed to help the patient and we have a kid screaming so we're gonna end on that because there's yeah. a thunderstorm and lightning and yeah. somebody so is scared. just real quick um <laughs> karen just tell us how, how they can follow us on like instagram on instagram uh med family md and then of course you can follow us on any of the podcasts <laughs> any, uh, any podcast platforms so spotter stitcher in uh sorry spotter stitcher iTunes, uh, iTunes mm-hmm. any any place you listen to podcasts, you should be able to find us. Leave us a comment, leave us a rating, and we're happy to read them and try to answer any questions you have. Have a good week, and we will see you next week. All right, bye. Bye.